leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's the host of the very new podcast called Scouting Goggles, which is on the Bench Mob Podcast Network. And he also has the Twitter handle Scott Levine NBA. Scott, thanks so much for coming on. Of course, Garrett. I think I was the one who approached you with like the question of when are we doing the top thirty this uh, this year after we had done one last year. Right, and we actually uh, we we did one right about this time of year, leading up into uh, the 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 twenty eighteen nineteen season. And then we also did a, a bit of an, an update as well about a third of the way into last season. So this is our third go-around with this. It's a, it's a real fun exercise. And, of course, uh, you know, in the world of sports with, with player performances impressing on the mind, these rankings always seem to be in flux. There's going to be a few guys who I just immediately know I messed up with. And usually it's younger guys who I put too low. I remember last year I put Oladipo in like the late teens and you put him number nine. And before the ACL tear, I thought you were a genius for kind of seeing that he would be really up in that higher echelon. Not quite of MVP candidates or anything, but definitely of like, you know, that all NBA caliber. Um, And a lot of people thought he would regress. Why, Why is that? That when a guy has a good season, everyone's like, well, he's likely to regress. Like, no, Oladipo is what, 24, 25? What, what if he just gets better? And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, uh, that that is uh, that is the key point, though. Is the is the age certainly? Yeah, for a guy like James Harden, who seemed to have his best offensive year last year at, at around thirty six points or per game, uh, he's a guy that uh, at age thirty now you could potentially see a decline. But yeah, Oladipo still in his prime, but it has been just some some injury issues, which has kind of derailed him a little bit. 
but uh, I wanted to just uh, briefly discuss why we've gone with this 30 30 player format people would probably wonder why not 10 or 15 or 20 but uh, 30 is nice because you know there's 30 teams in the NBA and uh, it, it goes to show you that you know when the teams at the top are stacked with with multiple stars uh, how tough that makes it for the teams at the bottom of the league to compete with with the drop-off in talent and it might be a little bit different this year because I guess just kind of scouring my list I can't see any teams where I have three players on that list and that's because Clay Thompson obviously has an ACL tear well I guess Sixers would qualify for this but some of them are on the lower side overall it seems like you know you don't have that Warriors type um, (laughs) uh, kind of embarrassment of riches on this list the way you did last year but it's either two players on this list from a team or like one really good player and then a bunch of other guys who I put in an honorable mention I think that's kind of become the formula yeah this year really has become a season where like the the top teams in the the league are 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 two-star teams of course the uh the most famous example would be the Clippers with with Kawhi and Paul George and then the Rockets teaming up uh James Harden and Russell Westbrook and the Lakers with with LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. But before we get into our rankings, Scott, I just wanted to take a moment and uh, kind of go over our rationale for determining the best players in the league. And uh, what are you looking for when you're making these assessments? Is it, are you, like, how much are you weighing the regular season versus postseason production, longevity versus breakout seasons? How much do you put into all of those different ideas? I generally value postseason more than regular season. However, I think we're at kind of an impasse where we don't know exactly what is going to be the best skill for the postseason, right? It's so obvious that it was like, how can you best uh, mimic or, you know, guard the Warriors in the past seasons just because, like, that was the team to beat. But now, I I mean, who... I guess it's a question of who do you think is going to be the best teams, right? There's, I mean six, seven possible teams, I think, that could win the championship. So while I generally want to value postseason, it's a little harder to do that. So I probably use more regular season production as a crutch than ever. Well, yeah, and, you know, the there was that famous line by Draymond Green that there are, you know, 82 game players referencing the regular season and there are 16 game players referencing the postseason. It is interesting, you know, I, I agree with you. I also, you know, give a little bit more weight to the postseason. But uh, at times that can be a, a tough thing to decipher because, again, you're dealing with such a smaller sample size where the regular season is a, is a better sort of uh, example of a player's quality. And there still will be qualities that are good for postseason. Like, everything Draymond does defensively will still carry over as being, like, you know, more of a postseason-oriented advantage. And, you know, still just the ability to guard multiple positions, make quick decisions, etc. will always be valuable in such high-leverage situations. It's just like, how, how much so? You know? what In what ways? Yeah, and Draymond is certainly somebody we're going to get to at some point. He's, uh, he's definitely one of the more intriguing players to discuss. But, uh, Scott, without further ado, let's, uh, let's hear who you've got ranked at number one as the number one player for the 2019-20 NBA season. I don't feel excellent about it, as I do usually. I think he's still number one. It's LeBron, by the way. 
I think he's still number one. I just, I don't know if there's a tier between him and the next few guys anymore. Interesting. So LeBron has dropped a little bit for me. He was number one on my list uh, last year, and he was also number one on, on my list when we updated it at about a third of the way into the season when the Lakers were still doing reasonably well. Uh, the the big question for me with LeBron is, you know, I, I don't question his his postseason ability. I mean, just uh, looking back at his postseason stats, which were essentially a year ago, uh, you know, he, he put up 34 points per game, 9.1 rebounds, 9 assists, 61.9 true shooting on 35% usage and leading the Cavs to the NBA Finals. So obviously, I, I'm not questioning that he's still going to be a dominant playoff force. And I'm not questioning he's going to put up big-time statistical numbers in the regular season. But given the, the lack of success, you know, obviously with the Lakers missing the playoffs last year, and then the Cavs with, with not the greatest record in point differentials in his last couple seasons there, how dominant of a regular season player is LeBron anymore? As dominant as he needs to be, and generally that hasn't really been needed of him. I guess, especially in Cleveland, when it was like, all right, let's just lock into a home court advantage in the first round and go from there. Obviously, they took their fair share of bumps along the way, but I generally think that he had his eyes set on the finals and, you know, ultimately did get there, regardless of how he did in the regular season. With the Lakers, it's a little trickier. Um, Obviously, injuries played a part in this. I think he kind of saw the writing on the wall also halfway through the season that this team is not going to be the one that was going to go anywhere. And I expect them to really be refocused this year. I think they added much better players like Danny Green, I think, would be the second best player on the team last year. And <laughs> uh, they added Jared Dudley, who's just another, you know, not really that good anymore, but still another just adult in the locker room. He had some um, moments in that series with, for Brooklyn versus uh, Philadelphia. I don't know about on-court moments, though. (laughs) No, he's fine. Um, Who else did they even get? (laughs) I mean, they. uh, I mean, uh, Anthony Davis obviously is the is the big one, but who will be coming soon on our lists? Right. but they added uh, the likes of Avery Bradley. Uh, They uh, they retained Rajon Rondo and Contavious Caldwell Pope. Uh, let's see. They they added Dwight Howard. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe this won't be the squad, but you know I think that we're gonna see a great LeBron season at the very least. And who knows? Maybe they have a few moves up their sleeve. I, I wonder if Kuzma will be used as a trade chip if they want someone who's like more ready to contribute um, in LeBron's prime, or you know near the end of it, but still pretty, you know, he's the best player in the league, in my opinion, so still is prime, and it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll get to where I have LeBron a little bit later on, but uh, I'll, I'll mention my number one now, and that is Steph Curry. Uh, Steph Curry last... I love it. I, I love it. Yes, uh, last regular season, put up uh, 27.3 points per game, Shot 43.7% from three on nearly 12 attempts per game. 61.4 true shooting on over 30% usage. 
And for all those people that uh, are always saying that Steph is not a good postseason player, his his postseason stats from last season, 28 a game on over 37% from three on 11 attempts, 62% true shooting on 29% usage. So, so yes, little slight statistical dips from his regular season production, but still outstanding work uh, from Steph all throughout the, the postseason, all the way through to the finals. You can definitely talk me into Steph being the best player in 2019. Um, I mean, the last time we saw him without without Kevin Durant, and I don't mean to say like Kevin Durant like ruined Steph's like two seasons. Obviously, they were so much better with him. But I mean, look at the 2016 season. Look at you know some of the efforts he made when Durant got hurt. I don't really want to give too much credence to the Blazers series because um, I just think that when you're talking about playoff basketball, that's not what you're really talking about. You're talking about how he matches up with the Raptors, who he still did really well against, by the way. Um, had that ridiculous game. And, yeah, I like I said, there's not this huge cutoff between LeBron and some of the other guys near the top anymore. Yeah, and the, the big thing for me is, you know, I, I would certainly, uh, you know, if you were to tell me that LeBron James is much better in the postseason next year than Steph Curry, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But when you talk about regular season value and those concerns I have with LeBron in terms of his ability to really, really push a team up up high in wins and up in the standings, you know, he, he had that quote about... Uh, when he came back from his injury, that, all right, I'm going to flip the switch and we're going to get into the playoffs. Well, the switch was never flipped. And uh, um, Steph has that great value in, in both the regular season and postseason. I would say he's top three in both of those categories. Would you would you agree with that? Top three in postseason? I, I would say he's got he's top three in regular season value and top three in postseason value. Regular season value, yes. Postseason value... Most likely, however, I do think the scale gets swung towards the do-it-all forward types. Um, and maybe if Kevin Durant was healthy, I, I'd put Steph a little out of the top three. I think he's right on the border between here. Um, just because I, I do think that, that when the game slows down, someone who can just like do everything, so to speak. Like you saw when Kawhi was just like settling for those mid-range jumpers, they were still going in. That was still a viable offense. He was able to carve out that space for himself. Um, While I think Steph's game is obviously top three in a vacuum, I I do think that in the playoffs it becomes a little tougher to him to just get to those spots because I think physical strength is just a pretty underrated tool when you consider um, just the versatility of of a player shot in the playoffs. No, yeah, I I mostly agree with that. Yeah, I would put LeBron and Kawhi both probably ahead of him if I had to predict this upcoming season's postseason performance, but you know, with Durant out, uh, there's there's not really anybody besides those two that I would say clearly are are ahead of Steph. But uh, yeah, the uh, let's hear uh, who you've got, Scott, at uh, at your number two spot. So I have Giannis uh, at number two. Okay. Yeah, um, and, and I'll just spoil this right now. Um, I had three with Steph and. I spent all day like kind of going back and forth between Giannis and Steph in my head because and they're very similar in some ways to me. Um, and that when they have a, like an elite team around them, I don't know if there's an answer for them currently. We kind of saw that with Steph, obviously, during the Warriors run. Yeah. And it, it kind of felt like 
Giannis and the Bucks were going to become the next version of that when they went up 2-0 against the Raptors. Obviously, we know what happened after that. But now that the Raptors, now that Kawhi's not on the Raptors, who's who's going to stop Giannis? You know, like, I think we're going to realize how good that Raptors defensive unit was to have to do that. And I don't, I mean, maybe Philly has the size. Maybe, like, Clippers can throw some big wings at him. But I still am not confident that a team is equipped to stop Giannis downhill for 48 minutes in a playoff game. And all he needs is a few openings to just have a fantastic night. Um, Even when the Raptors did kind of figure out how to corral him, some of those games were still extremely close, even though Raptors did win four consecutive ones. So it just seems like he might be, you know, and I guess the tiebreaker was that Giannis obviously has the defensive components that Steph doesn't, but he might be in a similar, you know, conversation when you talk about offensive weapons that there just might not be an answer for. Yeah, he, uh, you know, on a on a night-to-night regular season basis, Giannis is just absolutely unstoppable because, yes, I think 95% of the league has no one that can deal with him. Uh, to to uh, answer your question as far as, yeah, the and you even referenced the team, I think Philadelphia does have the tools to deal with him given that Al Horford has been a, a pretty good defender on him over the years. Uh, and then also Embiid, I think, has been pretty solid as well. So they've at least got two guys. And the issue for me with Giannis, without the jump shot, which, you know, maybe uh, there's a chance that he's, uh, he's worked on that enough that that won't be as big of a concern going into this season, uh, but without that jump shot, come playoff time, uh, and and in the playoffs, you've got to get through four series, which means you're probably getting through two elite teams, which do have the personnel to uh, potentially make things difficult on Giannis. Uh, that that those struggles that he had in that Toronto series still matter to me. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll just mention I have Giannis at three, so uh, they don't matter that much, but uh, uh, <laughs> enough that uh, that I don't have him in the top two. Was LeBron your second? Actually, no. It uh, was the guy that uh, that was able to, when they put uh, him on Giannis, that changed the series, and that is Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, he was number four for me. And uh, I, I I definitely understand, too. Like I said, like one through four, I think, is like order him any way you want for me. Um, I think the reason I had him fourth was because I wasn't sure how big of an impact from Kawhi we would see. Um, just because he's always uh, dealing with, you know, the injuries that he had last year as well. And I do think that in a way, the the, the, the landscape of the league broke perfectly right for him. That, you know, Warriors were kind of depleted on the wings. And he was able to kind of, uh, you know, obviously march to victory and look like the best player in the league, which he still might be. But... I'm just wondering if everything's going to break that way for him in next year's league. Yeah, it's a it's a fair question. Uh, you know, and as far as regular season value, you know, Kawhi is good. I don't think he's again. I don't think he's up on on at Steph's level as far as the the regular season value. But his postseason run last year was just incredible. Averaged over 30 points per game, nine rebounds, around four assists. 62% true shooting on 32% usage. And as you were saying for your argument for, you know, a guy like LeBron or Giannis uh, over Steph, 
uh, the, that do-it-all forward that can impact the game on both ends of the floor. He had a huge defensive game seven against Philadelphia where he held Jimmy Butler to five of 14 from the field. And then, of course, as I referenced, that uh, him being switched on to Giannis really changed that series against the Bucks. Uh, his two-way play and, and coming off, uh, you know, one of the best postseasons we've ever seen, I think, uh, uh, you know, having him in the top five is almost guaranteed. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put him any lower than four. And this is a good time to say that neither, Kevin Durant is not on either of our lists because this whole exercise is to try to, like, project if we were to make uh, top 30 at the end of the year, who was the best, who was the top 30, and he won't play. So he won't be on our lists, although he would probably be around this territory if he can return to anything close to what he was before the injury. Right, yeah, I would say just, you know, doing the exercise of like, oh, if, uh, you know, if he comes back in the playoffs, where would I, you know, project him to be? And I had him at around nine. I don't think he's going to be, you know, exactly right when he comes back uh, initially from the Achilles, if he does come back at all this year. Uh, but, uh, but yes, uh, I'm glad you, you, were, uh, you were able to point that out. Uh, so let's see, you said you had Steph as your, as your number three. So I actually have Giannis as my number three. Yeah, the, the fact that, that Giannis has, has improved his, his points per game and rebounding in each of his first six years is just incredible. And, I mean, the guy has, has continued to get better despite the, uh, the jump shot really improving. He, he struggled with the three-point ball. I think he got off to like a 5-for-50 start from three last season. Uh, but despite that, he's still just such a dominant force. And do, do you expect him to make another leap this year, Scott? At this point, it's really interesting for me. And I know we talked about Giannis, but this is kind of a new point. Um, I do, first of all. I, I You know, every time I think that he's reached the outer limits of his skill set, he shows that, you know, there's a few things he can tweak. Ways that he can get a little stronger, a little bit faster, that make it so that he is breaks his own record basically at being the best at that one skill um <laughs> so what's interesting is i think the bucks kind of hamstrung themselves in this offseason with the middleton contract the bledsoe contract the brooke lopez contract like you can argue that they needed a way to get a little bit better if it's true that philly has okay success stopping Giannis. um they need kind of a little bit of a plan B to their offense. Bledsoe, not the best self-creator. Middleton, not great at getting separation in the half court. So it's really just going to be on Giannis to continue to grow to provide any semblance of upward mobility for the Bucks, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, it'll be fascinating to see if, if Milwaukee can maintain that elite status of being, uh, you know, top, two or three on both ends of the floor. They were just so ex- exceptional last season. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's hear uh, who you've got at your number four slot. So that was Kawhi. Um, Kawhi, right. I, I, I assume you went LeBron? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we have the same top four, just in different order. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we already talked about LeBron James. So moving on to, to number five, to round out the top five, I have James Harden. I have Anthony Davis. Interesting. Okay, so I'll, I guess I'll make my case for for James Harden here. Uh, you know, obviously the the regular season production is sensational. Again, averaged around thirty six points per game. Did it on a sixty plus percent true 
true shooting and uh, you know a crazy high usage. Uh, the fact that he can you know really lift I think any team to mid fifties win territory is so impressive. Outside of that one year where he came into the season out of shape and got Kevin McHale fired, uh, he he has he has really lifted you know even some below average teams to that mid fifties territory. And it, it doesn't really matter who's around him, whether there's, you know, enough shooting, not enough shooting. He's just such a great isolation scorer that it, it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, the A.D. Hardy one was also a one that I went back and forth on a lot. Uh, I guess the, I can see the argument for having Harden at five. I think that he raises your floor more than anybody who you ranked below him. Um, so there's definitely a lot of merit to that. And I think that for somebody like AD, it doesn't have to be AD, but somebody like that, uh, it's a little bit more variant, whether they'll be like, you know, a top five player or a top 15 player. Um, so you know that Harden's going to be in that around top five, top six, top seven, and it's, it's, he's just going to do what he does. My question is what happens if you want to, you know, kind of go <laughs> the other way? What if you want to say like, hey, does this guy have a chance to be like a top three player in the league? Um, and I don't know if Harden is quite there. I don't know if he can scale to a, you know, 65-win team the way he currently plays unless he has, like, um, <laughs> which is a really bad thing to say because he did do exactly that in 2018. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like, I think it's harder to, you know, kind of build that type of team around him just because of how much he needs to play on offense to kind of offset the fact that you you know his defensive concerns are overblown but you do have to incubate him a little bit on defense and if that trade-off has to be so far in the way of offense is that allowing other guys on your team who can also handle the ball to also you know have usage and obviously you need those guys to have usage in order to kind of have a coherent offensive system so uh, it's interesting for me i don't have Harden much lower but I think that AD might scale to like an ideal team a little bit better. That's interesting. So I, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I, I do think like as the number two or three guy on a team, Anthony Davis obviously does more for you. But I just think the dif- the difference in those two guys as your number one option is is such a huge gap. You know, Anthony Davis. Uh, you know. Yes, he hasn't had the greatest teammates in New Orleans, but he's never won more than 48 games as his team's best player. And that has to uh, that has to come into account at some point. And and James Harden, you know, a lot of people give him a lot of flack for his postseason performance, but uh, I think a lot of that is overblown. I mean, I, I pulled up his stats from, from the Warriors series in which the I think the storyline was that Harden blew it, but uh, Harden in that series averaged... Nearly 35 points per game, 7 rebounds, 5.5 assists, 2.2 steals, 59.4 true shooting on nearly 37% usage. And the Houston outscored the Warriors while Harden was on the floor. Uh, and, you know, he, he's, had some, he's had some notable downers in the postseason. You know, there was the, the series against San Antonio, that game 6 without Kawhi, where he just uh, absolutely did nothing. But... Every year that he's lost, he's lost to an, a sensational team. That Spurs team won 60-plus games. And every year he has to face the Warriors, and the last couple of years, the Warriors with Kevin Durant. Yeah, you know, I, I, 
it's really interesting for me. And I think that something that's also worth mentioning is um, I don't know if this will be the best James Harden season. So you're not a uh, you're not a fan of what he's been working on this offseason, which is the one footed step back three. Oh no, I think that part will be excellent. I, I love all that stuff. I, I I just wonder if Russell Westbrook will kind of it'll be a little bit of a weird phase for him potentially. And people said that with Chris Paul, I think that's a little different. I think Chris Paul has much more off ball value, uh, makes up his value much more on the defensive end. So he kind of acquiesced to being a number two option a lot better. Um, I, I just, but to kind of go back to the first option for second option thing. AD is always tough with me because I would never call him like a true second option. Maybe you'll have to be in the context of the Lakers offense, but I think even so, um, that's like calling like Kevin Durant a second option. Now, I'm not saying that AD is as good as Kevin Durant, but um, I think AD is spiritually a first option. I think um, even though he didn't obviously bring the Pelicans very far, I, I think a lot of that was on kind of their overall depth and injury concerns and, uh, you know, constant roster movement. Um, I really think that there was obviously a much better way to build a contender around AD than they showed. That's just my opinion. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he kind of uh, validates me with his defense. I think he can obviously become one of the best defenders in the league, but if he's adamant on playing the four, that might not be the best use of just his ability to switch one through five and cover a ton of ground. Um, albeit he'll be really good at as a weak side rim protector, but like you'd rather, I think he can be a strong side rim protector, so I feel like why put him on the weak side? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, hearing you talk about Harden kind of swayed me a little bit. I Again, this is really tough because they're such different players and uh, pretty much have inverse strengths and weaknesses in some ways. Yeah, uh, and and I had Anthony Davis as my as my number six, so I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. The and and I think this season is going to be an excellent barometer for for how he stacks up with the great players in the league. As as you stated, you know if if it is true that you know the Pelicans just didn't have enough talent around him to truly succeed, that, that can't be the argument this year. He's playing with LeBron James, uh, so. Uh, he, he's got no more excuses. This team's going to have to not only do well in the regular season, but make a, a really good run in the postseason for me to feel like he's deserving of being in that top five discussion. And it is kind of hard to uh, visualize the offense with LeBron and AD. When you think of AD, you think of like just uh, you know dominating as a face-up attacker, um, even you know like handling the ball a little bit on the perimeter, uh, just being kind of a beast off drives Uh, as a role man he's interesting although that seems like not the best use of him he's always been like a mediocre three-point shooter it's not like he hasn't tried to become a better three-point shooter Uh, everyone's like once AD starts taking threes watch out like no he has been taking threes it's okay Um, (laughs) and that's gonna be tough I think they can figure it out but it's gonna be a little bit of a different LeBron than what we've seen in the past yeah, so let's let's move on now to your number six. Yeah, that was Harden. So okay. I'll go to seven if you don't mind. Yeah. And this is maybe, I don't know, depending on who you're talking to, my first bombshell of the episode. My number seven player is Jokic. Okay, I like it. <laughs> I, uh, I actually have him one below seven. I have him at eight. All right, who's your seventh? Uh, I have Paul George. 
Oh, nice, nice. So, uh, I mean, do you want to uh, you want to make your argument for Jokic? I'd love to. I, I think that. So I think either he or Steph is going to be the MVP next year. First of all, and maybe that's not an argument towards talent, but if you look at kind of the parameters for past MVP winners, usually guys who haven't won it before get a boost. Usually guys who are clearly like by far the best player on their team get a boost. Um, so therefore mitigate uh, LeBron, mitigate AD, uh, Kawhi. Um, Giannis won it last year, so I think that I think he's going to be faded a little bit, as we saw with James Harden, where maybe it was like 51-49 Harden, but it was treated like 30-70 Giannis. Um, well, probably Giannis, slight advantage either way, but I think people underrate how close it should have been. Um, let's see. We got James Harden. Maybe he still like takes the lion's share of the offense, but I don't know. He already did win it, so... I think that Jokic is the next obvious candidate. His game kind of speaks for itself. Great passer. You know, kind of instant elite offense in a can if you surround him with shooters and cutters. Uh, much improved defender. I think all the a lot of the defensive concerns that plagued him if, like, Denver were to match up with the Warriors in the playoffs are no longer there. Not to say that, like, he still can't get burned. I just don't think it's as critical now. Because I talked about this a little bit on my on my Warriors podcast, but with scouting goggles. But like other teams, like if Steph Curry, you play against the Warriors now, you you have ways to get those points back. Whereas the Warriors last year, four years before, had like a, an elite defense, so like it allowed you to not have the room to give Steph those shots. Um, so I think that's a pretty good case. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, again, I had him at number eight, so I'm very high on him as well. Just uh, I've got his postseason numbers from last year. I wanted to mention uh, Jokic in in 14 games averaged 25.1 points per game, 13 rebounds, 8.4 assists, 59.6 percent true shooting on 26.5 percent usage. And the other thing that's fascinating to me is you saw in that postseason run that he sort of regained that three-point touch, which he had lost for most of the regular season last year. Uh, But uh, if that three-point stroke is there for this full upcoming season, watch out. This guy could put up crazy numbers. People underrate how important it is to, like, be a stretch five who can shoot and also play make. We kind of saw it with Mark Gasol in the finals, like, if you can leverage that gravity to make the opposing center come out to the paint and then exploit that with like a closeout attack or like a pass or something like that, they're really I, I, I like I think that like most of the elite offenses are going to have an element of that going forward. Yeah, and uh, yeah that I think that was why they were able to, to get through that first round series against San Antonio in a tough seven games and, and nearly get to the conference finals. Uh, but he was brilliant. And, yeah, I absolutely love watching him play. And you're right that the defense, I think, is underrated. I I think he's even a slightly above-average defender. I don't think he's ever going to be anything exceptional because he, he doesn't quite have the, the, the athleticism to, to become, you know, a good to great defender. But, you know, with his offensive game, just being slightly above-average as a defensive player is, is, is more than okay. And people will say, like, oh, but he's a center and defense should matter more. 
And just to clarify, I do think he's a good defender in the context of the regular season. Obviously, you can kind of game plan to scheme against him in the playoffs if you have somebody like Steph or Dame or something like that who can drag him out to an island. But for me, that doesn't do enough to offset what he's already really good at. Well, and, and I thought they, you know, he did a reasonably good job on, on Damian Lillard. We'll, we'll talk about Lillard a little bit later, but, but yeah, that seemed to be a nightmare matchup, and it didn't go as poorly for Jokic as you would have expected. Uh, but uh, my number seven, as I mentioned, was Paul George, and I'll kind of give my rationale for why I picked him ahead of Jokic, and, and it was a tough call. Uh, the, the reason is, I do think Jokic is better as a number one option on a team than Paul George, uh, but... George being that uh, that player that I think can be a second or third guy uh, on a uh, on a championship level team and scale back but still be super effective I think is is why I have him a little bit ahead his ability to run off screens catch and shoot play elite wing defense is just so valuable in today's NBA uh, and you know people will mention with Paul George the the postseason he had last year but uh, you know, he, he was dealing with shoulder injuries. He had multiple shoulder surgeries in the offseason. And also, his his so-called number one player on his team that he was playing with, Russell Westbrook, in, in those two first-round exits that the Thunder had, Westbrook was just absolutely dreadful. He was. I think that it's really tough to tell exactly what capacity PG will come back in. This year, uh, post-shoulder injury, I think there's the temptation to say that he will regress just because he played so far, well, not so far, but like decently far beyond his past seasons. Last uh, season, as kind of a borderline MVP candidate, or pretty much an MVP candidate, um, but I think he'll be around that. It's really tough to tell. I, like, I think he'll have a lot of space to create in the Clippers' offense. Um, I wonder if being next to Kawhi will create enough of an environment to for him to like feast on the, you know, off-screen, off-penetration uh, shots that he did in OKC for the better part of the regular season. Um, I just don't think there will be a lot of penetration in the Clippers' offense, so he'll have to be a little bit more reliant on isolation. But definitely, still, I think around top ten for me as well. Yeah, and. And you've kind of convinced me as well. I think the the fact that he might, he's probably going to miss the first month of the season might uh, might I, I might push Jokic ahead of him just for that sake. That, uh, yes! that, that Jokic is going to get a little bit more value just from playing extra games. So so yeah, you you've you've convinced me to change one. So I'll put Jokic at seven as well, uh, and George at eight. But who do you have at uh, at the number eight spot? I have Joel Embiid. Oh okay, interesting. So uh, yeah, give me your thoughts on on Joel. I, I just think he's a fantastic human being, fantastic basketball player, and he might be, you know, one of these guys we're talking about who it's like, like, like not quite like to the degree of Giannis and Steph, but it's like any team that wants to contend or think about contending, especially in the East, has to have be able to answer the question: How can we limit Embiid to a certain degree? Um, we saw when how he can like kind of take over games just through sheer force and skill near the near the paint. Um, that game three of the Raptors series really comes to mind when I talk about this. He's just an absolute clinic. The one uh, game where he d- he was uh, was not down with some sort of an illness. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, exactly. And, and maybe durability can be a reason to bump him a little bit lower. Uh, but I just, I think we're running out of guys who can, like, single-handedly alter a series. 
um, at this point. So I'd rather just have him more than all the other guys going down here. Yeah, and uh, I actually have Embiid as uh, as my number nine. So uh, oh, well, yeah, the the big concern for me is that durability. You know, he played sixty four games last year, which was was a positive sign. But uh, I would I wouldn't expect him to play much more of that going forward. Uh, especially given you know all of the issues he had in the postseason last year, I think Philadelphia might even be more cautious with him to make sure that he's fully healthy. And, and that's another reason why I liked the uh, the Horford signing for them is because when Embiid sits, they've actually got a, a high quality center that can step in. And that was the biggest issue of last playoffs. Um, Greg Monroe had a few moments, but once he got hurt, it was like they had to rely on Boban against the Raptors, which you don't really want to do um amir johnson got in there so that's a huge thing as well and, I, and i'm interested to see how they play alongside each other it's very 90s basketball-esque but both of them are so skilled especially when horford has the really good jump shot that i think they can make it work yeah and uh it's also 90s basketball and that uh you know i feel like on most teams tobias harris would be playing the four but he's going to be playing the three for this philadelphia squad even at six eight uh, and he'll be and he'll be guarding the two most nights. Um, yes. If, if, if Simmons is gonna like kind of take on like Kawhi type duty like he did in the Raptors series. Yeah, the Sixers are certainly gonna be interesting to watch. Uh, who do you have then at uh, at your number nine slot? So this is where we might uh, differ a little bit. Um, I said Paul George was top ten, uh, and he was my number ten. So I'm wondering where you have this guy. Uh, number nine, I have Damian Lillard. Okay, so I have him. Uh, I have him a little bit lower. Um, okay. And uh, do you want me to talk about why I don't have him quite that high? Well, I, I, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I think that would work better because everyone knows his strengths, and it would be better if I could kind of just uh, respond to maybe why you don't have him top ten. Not that that's like outlandish to not have him top ten, but I'm interested to hear your opinion. So yeah, I guess I'll just say it. I have him at number twelve. Um, okay. And, so uh, not too far off. Right. Uh, and he's obviously a great regular season player. He's pretty consistently been the best player on teams that have gotten to the high 40s, low 50s in, in wins. So not denying that he's got great regular season value. He's also hit two of the biggest postseason shots in NBA history. Uh, but but I still have doubts about his postseason play. And I referenced it earlier in the, the fact that, um, you know, Lillard going up against Denver and Nikola Jokic uh, would have seemed like that would have been a, a huge mismatch in a series where Lillard could really feast. But he struggled in that series. He shot 40.7% from the field, 28.8% from three. And in Game 7, he was really saved by a, a heroic performance from C.J. McCollum. Lillard went 3 of 17 in that game. Yeah, I know. He definitely, like, it's, it, it kind of is like a... a, a, a extremes with him in the playoffs either he's like ending the oklahoma Fran- uh, city's what russell westbrook and paul george era or no i i prefer what you were going to say at first the oklahoma city franchise he, he ended it <laughs> okay fair enough either he's ending the oklahoma city as a franchise or um <laughs> he, he, he's having these series where you're just like well what's up man like i think of the pelican series last year as well I think he's has gotten a lot better since then. He's learned to pass out of traps a lot better since that series. And I think he's talked about this. Like he really um, focused on what he could have done differently. And we saw a lot of playoff improvements. Now the shooting obviously is going to come and go. Um, 
and obviously you'd like it to be a little bit better. But I still kind of have faith in him as an ideal, you know, kind of primary creator on a team that contend for it can contend for a championship. Um, the Blazers haven't really done the best job of surrounding him with championship caliber pieces. Um, but regarding the uh, not making Jokic pay element, I also think, and we, I've talked about this a little bit, uh, maybe with you, I can't remember, but like I think that the Warriors and the Rockets to an extent made us underappreciate how hard it is to consistently scheme to get these big men into trap situations or we're switching situations like it really does require uh five dudes you need to be able to provide shooting on the on the wings like i felt like harkless and aminu were often ignored on the perimeter um in ways that allowed Jokic to kind of maybe uh trap it a little bit as opposed with with a guard as opposed to um having to switch on to that player so i do wonder if Lillard had like a few better complementary pieces on him in the offense around him. I wonder what he would be able to do in terms of uh, resting those matchups because we all know the skill is there. So um, it could just be you know not making a lot of shots in playoff situations. That seems a little bit too chance based for me to take that fully at face value. Um, it is an important question with him though. Yeah, and uh, I think Neil O'Shea. Uh you know, shared your concerns about uh, Aminu and Harkless because he got rid of them and uh, replaced them with the likes of, uh, of Bazemore. And uh, uh, they're, they're going to play um, uh, Hazonia as well, I think, a little bit. So uh, it'll yeah, be... Yeah, uh, that's, that's the thing that kind of uh, went too far in the other direction, right? Because Aminu obviously is a very good defender. And it's like, well, <laughs> uh, is either of those guys going to be checking Kawhi in the playoffs? I don't know, man. Right, um, but yeah, I, I certainly uh, I see your point that yeah Lillard hasn't had the greatest of help in his career, and I still don't think he does. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I I also you know I think his style of play he very much relies on just hitting very difficult shots, and and you stated that that can kind of lead to some some up and down playoff performances. But I also think that can kind of limit him in terms of being, if he had a, a guy that was even better than him and being a secondary or, or, or third type of scorer, uh, it, it would limit his, uh, his potential in that sort of role because, you know, I, I think one of the things that separated the, the Warriors and, and the Blazers over the last couple of years, even though they both have excellent backcourts, is the fact that the, the Warriors guys in, in Steph and Clay really run around, set screens, and uh, can move off the ball to create shots, whereas Lillard really heavily relies on that uh, off-the-dribble three. Oh, yeah, that's also entirely fair. Um, some part of me feels like uh, that is kind of... It's weird for me to, like, knock James Harden for not really, you know, scaling up to uh, that type of team where he's around other offensive talents like him. But that's, I guess, why I have Dame ninth in general, you know? I guess you get less of a microscope when you're being compared to Paul George versus Anthony Davis. Yes, and, and I do think there is uh, there is a little drop off uh, right around after that, like number nine or ten range in the NBA. I think there's this like if we were doing this in tiers, I think there would be a uh, these these next few guys would definitely be in a lower tier for me. Um, my number ten is actually Jimmy Butler. Oh, cool. 
Uh, so Butler, you know, obviously heading into into last year, there was all that drama with him uh, forcing his way out of Minnesota, and then there was even drama in the early days with Philadelphia and wanting more of the ball. But, you know, to state it simply, the guy wins basketball games. You know, Minnesota, you could see it in, in how Minnesota played after he left. They went from making the playoffs and winning 48 games and really being on pace to win in the low to mid-50s while he was healthy that one season in Minnesota uh, to, to then they're, they're out of the playoffs the following year. And Philadelphia, you know, was, was uh, you know, a potential Kawhi Leonard three-point shot falling off the rim from, from potentially being a championship team. I mean, that, t- that Philadelphia team was so good, and Butler showed that even with a guy in Embiid that was probably the number one option, that he could scale down, still play great defense, be just that guy that gets the 50-50 balls, makes the tough plays, and then can create a little bit for you in the pick and roll. I just love Jimmy Butler as a basketball player, if, even if I don't love him as a person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, regarding, um, I won't talk too much about Jimmy Butler as a person. It's been really interesting. And I feel like I don't like it when people, you know, make fun of a player for going to a, you know, a situation where they won't win as much games for personal happiness, but it does kind of conflict with like everything he said about like I want to win, I want to win. Like at some point you're like, well, you, you have to understand that you have a better chance of doing that on the Sixers. Um, but I, I guess that's not everything to him. It doesn't have to be. It's just it kind of, it just does feel kind of weird when he's built that to be his persona. Um, and you know I don't really know him as a person, but anyway, I'll stop being so diplomatic and talk about Jimmy Butler as last season he is probably a top 10 player I think this season I really want to see him in Miami um, is he going to kind of acquiesce and be kind of that team defender uh, 1.5 option alongside Embiid that he kind of embraced in the playoffs or is it just going to kind of be the the Jimmy Butler show where like he's putting up 25 points, but you know, the defense isn't quite as good as it could be. Um, he's not making like the reads we saw from him in Philly last year. I just have a little bit of skepticism. Um, as soon as you take him out of like that super high leverage situation, uh, what, what the motivation is going to be like. Yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, I personally would, would expect Miami to make the playoffs, especially in, in the Eastern conference, which is pretty weak near the bottom uh, but uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see. Uh, so uh, we've we've both gone through our top tens. You had jo- Paul George at number ten. Who's uh, who do you have just outside of the top ten at number eleven? All right, so I'll just say I had Jimmy Butler at thirteen. So while I'm saying these like little uh, probably pretty damning <laughs> like uh, <laughs> concerns about him, uh, they're not actually that bad. He'll probably be pretty good. So I had him at thirteen. I was just looking for any reason to explain why I had him three spots lower than you. Um, and at number 11, I have uh, Kyrie Irving. Um, okay, we're, we're the exact same here. I've got him at 11 as well. So I noticed you have him as your second best point guard. I mean, I guess if Harden's a shooting guard, your second best point guard in the league, whereas I had Damian Lillard. Some of that might just be salt as a Celtics fan, but I think that is still a very interesting topic, and it kind of, for me last year, and maybe this is why I'm a little biased, is like watching Damian Lillard in the playoffs versus how Kyrie kind of gave up on the Bucks. I was like, well, Kyrie's better in some areas, but like 
I'll take a guy who like elevates his teammates spiritually a lot better, um, and maybe that gets into an area that we don't often delve in. But for such a close race last year, I felt like that was a important tiebreaker for me. Oh, absolutely, and. Uh... Given that you're a Celtics fan, I'm surprised Kyrie's even in your top 30, to be honest. I, I am actually, I, I pride myself on being a fairly level-headed guy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, I'm not just going to put Kyrie number 20 just because he uh, messed up the whole championship window of my team or whatever, although as much as I'd like to. I mean, you still can't deny how good he is at basketball. Uh, just a phenomenal shot creator. Um, we saw him kind of turn it up. I mean... You, you say that to me, Garrett, but what did he... I mean, I guess you're not really the biggest Cavs fan. I often mistake that because you're from Northern Northern Ohio. But there had to be a point where you maybe weren't his biggest fan. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he, he's certainly had uh, he's certainly had his issues, and and yeah, that uh, you know he's not ranked number eleven because of what he did last year. Uh, you know that that postseason series against Milwaukee. Uh, shot 35.6% from the field, 22% from three, and 18 turnovers in the five-game loss. Uh, you know, far and away the worst performance in a series in his postseason career. I guess I I, uh, I, I put most of that on the fact that I just think he was unhappy for, for one reason or another, and I, I totally understand why you would have Lillard above him for, for all of those leadership qualities that, you know, People uh, are, are all over the NBA say that Lillard is the best leader in the league, and, and I don't doubt that. Uh, but but just in terms of as a basketball player, I, I think Kyrie is a little bit better. And especially when you talk about in a postseason situation, scaling down to being that number two or three guy like he was with LeBron, I think he does that role just about perfectly. It does make sense to have Kyrie over Dame uh, basketball-wise. It's just, and, and I really, you know me, like I'm not the kind of guy who like brings in all of the intangibles and leadership into evaluating basketball talent, but when it's such an egregious difference, like in this case, I felt like it just had to play some role for me. Yeah, yeah, that, differently once I, you know, kind of move on from the whole Kyrie thing. Yeah, that's totally fair. And uh, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, Kyrie, he's got no excuse to be unhappy at this point. He chose to be in Brooklyn. So uh, it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating to see if uh, if any of the any of that drama bleeds over into the Nets locker room, uh, but uh, but yeah, I had uh, as I mentioned, I had Lillard right behind Kyrie at uh, at number twelve, and uh, who do you have uh, who do you have at that slot? Carl Anthony Towns. Okay, nice. So yeah, I had him over Jimmy Butler, which is kind of funny in its own way if you look at the history between the two. Um, but I just think this guy is so good, and I think that everything I've seen in terms of quotes, just press conferences out of Minnesota, like they're going to run everything through him this year, and it's going to be great. As soon as Ryan Saunders took over, his usage jumped about three to four percentage points. Do you remember last season when he was just like going off? Um, it would be like March. You'd look at, you'd open up the NBA app, and you're like, oh. Uh, Towns had what 43 <laughs> 17 and 8 <laughs> yeah I don't I don't have the I don't have the like post all-star break numbers in front of me but they were outrageous yeah you just there are so many nights like that where it's like oh gosh this guy is just he's getting unleashed this is everything we wanted Towns to be 
And I think that trend will continue. Um, you know, in the draft, it seems like they pick guys like, you know, Jarrett Culver, Jalen Noel. Uh, they have guys like Covington, um, Wiggins, you know, whatever they can get out of him. Uh, they are all kinds of guys who aren't going to, like, be self-creators, but are going to be able to feed off uh, offensive beacon in the middle, like Towns. We've seen reports about him even running some pick-and-rolls this year. Uh, he... he looks really slimmed down to an extent, obviously not too slimmed down because you still want him to have a lot of that bulk, but I just think this is going to be a monster year for him. Yeah, the I, I was listening to a, a dunked on recently where they, uh, where Nate Duncan had John Krasinski, not the actor, the reporter for the, uh, <laughs> the, the Timberwolves, and he was mentioning that, yeah, Carl Anthony Towns this offseason was spending a lot of time working on his ball handling. Uh, which is which is pretty scary because right when he came into the league, he had that ability to to not only shoot the three but to to uh, catch pump fake and and dribble in and finish. And uh, yeah, it is a scary idea to see him with the ball more in his hands and what kind of numbers he can put up. I mean, to me, he's a he's a dark horse MVP candidate, especially if he can push the Timberwolves towards uh, you know one of those bottom seeds in the Western Conference playoff picture. I I kind of agree with you. Um, I think. For all the reasons that he makes sense as an MVP candidate, Jokic just makes more sense in those ways. But behind him and behind Steph, uh, you can make a case that Towns will finish third. Yeah, so I actually, uh, this is working out pretty well. I had Towns at, uh, at my number 13 slot. So uh, uh, let's hear you who you, had, uh, who, you, who you had next on your list. Draymond Green. And we are the same again. I, I, I swear to anyone listening that we did not uh, we did not show each other our list before this. Yeah, this is this is this is awesome. Uh, I think you know it's it's kind of remains to be seen with Draymond. Uh, not good regular season for his standards. Excellent playoff season. Uh, how much of the regular season was just not needing to kick it up into high gear? He's probably the second best player, even when Clay comes back. On the Warriors now, they probably need a lot more out of him. So it's a matter of whether he can, you know, flip that switch or whether he just can't really do that over 82 games if he really, truly is a 16-game player. Yeah, uh, and again, with with the absence of, uh, of Durant and Iguodala and, and Thompson for most of this year, he absolutely has to, uh, to play at the level he did in that 2016 run. Uh, for this for this Warriors team to to even make the playoffs, I, I honestly think you know I last week with uh, with Jerry Cristo Delados I did my uh, over under predictions and and I had the Warriors under the forty eight point five in large part because you know if if Steph or Draymond get hurt I think they uh, they can go downhill pretty quick but uh, if the Warriors are going to surpass my expectations and get into that fifty win territory. It's not only going to have to take an MVP season from Steph, but it's going to have to take a Defensive Player of the Year caliber awesome season from Draymond Green. Yeah, it's kind of funny because you had Steph ranked higher and you had Draymond ranked where I did. Yeah, I feel pretty comfortable about the Warriors hitting their over. Um, I guess that comes down to difference in opinion of D'Angelo Russell. Yes, I am not too high on on Russell. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. I think this is actually a quite good role for him. Um, I obviously the defensive concerns are there, but I actually see the backcourt working quite well offensively. Um, if you look at kind of who Russell played alongside in Brooklyn, what worked, what didn't work, 
being the second option, I think, is really going to help him. And it will just create a little bit more of a dynamic threat for Draymond to continue to like thrive in his role because you really need dynamic shooters or at least shooters um, to begin with if you want to utilize Draymond offensively. And I think he has to earn this 14th ranking, not just on the defensive end. Yeah, uh, he, um, you know, again, for a good portion of last year was out of shape and just did not look very good. But then, you know, in the playoffs, uh, he, he, he lost some weight and, and was absolutely sensational. He was, uh, even though you don't really count that series against Portland, he was unbelievable in that series. He was great in the finals as well. Uh, the, the question for me, you know, with, with Draymond, you know, he's, he's 29 years of age now. He just signed an extension with the Warriors. Do you expect any sort of a dip just in, in terms of age-related regression from him? That's really tough with Draymond because if you look at like like his regression pattern is not linear at all. It's like slowly downcline and then there's a spike and then it's slowly downturn again and then there's a spike. And I think we're gonna kinda see the same thing where like maybe he won't be as bad as he was last regular season, um, because he has, you know, more need to be good, but I still think we're gonna see a spike in the playoffs. Assuming they make it, maybe it won't be as high as last year's, but that's kind of the pattern I see this going after. Yeah, and it, it's fascinating because, you know, we've talked about guys in, in certain roles, and obviously Draymond Green as a number one player on a team would be awful. That team would not be good. Uh, but uh, but as, like, a number two or three guy, he, he is excellent. He's, you know, in my mind, the best role player in the NBA and uh, when it comes to postseason defense, he might be the most valuable defender in the entire league. Yeah, and this is actually a good jumping off point because in a few in a few players, we're going to get into the territory where it's like, uh, you know, someone like Draymond as an example, like he's providing elite production overall, but some of that has to do with like the talent around him offensively. Do we credit that talent around him, or do we credit him for filling that? short role creator role with you know elite passing uh playmaking ability like who exactly gets the credit and i think that's where a lot of our differences in the back half of the top 30 will come yes so uh we both had draymond at 14 i'll move on to my number 15 and i and i feel like we're going to have a disagreement here uh my number 15 is rudy gobert yes i had him a few spots down um at this point We've kind of crossed off all the guys who, I, I think after Draymond, really, um, and even he can be in this tier where it's like number 14, 15 could be 25, and vice versa. Yes, uh, and the my, my argument for Gobert, you know, obviously the, the, the back-to-back defensive players of the year speak for themselves, uh, but... You know, the, the fact that I think this year in particular, his offensive value is going to be more realized because of the upgrades that, that Utah has made and adding Mike Conley and adding Bogdanovich. They've got so much more shooting that teams have to respect that those rim rolls that Gobert, I think, is exceptional at will be a little bit more effective and he may get a, an extra lob or two every game. I also think we're going to see a little bit more from him as a passer. Favors made it a little bit harder for him to facilitate out of roles because there was consistently a guy in the dunker spot and thus a big man waiting to help onto him. Um, 
he's always been a pretty good passer out of roles lately. And having Bogdanovich and Ingles as the forwards, obviously two of the best shooters in the league, I, I, I don't know how that doesn't just improve uh, his passing ability there. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and the other thing about his defense, you know, obviously the regular season value is you know, enormous. The postseason, it's been a little bit questionable, especially in those matchups against the Rockets. Do you feel like Gobert definitely has some exploitable weaknesses in the postseason, or do you feel like it's just, oh, he, he keeps getting matched up with this exceptional player in James Harden? <laughs> definitely a little bit of both, but in terms of like whether he's inherently not a good playoff player, um, I think that's less so, right, for all the reasons we talked about with Jokic. Uh, none of the best teams anymore have that guy who's really going to punish a slower big. Um, and so that just moves guys like Gobert and Jokic a little up in my book, whereas they might have gotten a bump down in the past. Yeah, so uh, who do you have then at, uh, at your number 15 spot? I have Blake Griffin. Interesting. Okay, so I have him a little bit further down. I have him down at, uh, at number 20, but uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Blake. I, I just think that what he did last season was tremendous. I don't know if you have the stats um, available, right? I do. I'll read them I'll read them off. Why don't you just start them off, because they really speak for themselves, and then I'll kind of just talk. 24.5 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 5.4 assists, 58.1 true shooting on 30.2 usage. Do you, by any chance, have his unassisted three-point number up? I don't, uh, but I do know that for a, a good chunk of the season, he was number three in step-back threes made behind James Harden and Luka Doncic. Yeah, it is kind of weird how he just automatically became one of the better uh, off-the-dribble shooters, especially at his position in the league out of nowhere. Uh, if you look at his... Shooting numbers uh, from three points, he was only assisted on 56% of his three-pointers per cleaning the glass, which is like, you know, just a shade south or shade north of like someone like Devin Booker or like, you know, any sort of like (laughs) guy who's going to take a lot of off-the-dribble threes. Um, To put that in context, uh, Devin Booker's numbers in that regard were not too far off. They were at... 58. So Devin Booker was assisted on more of his three-pointers than Blake Griffin, which is kind of something that has to kind of sink in for you to really think, uh, for you to fully understand how awesome that is. And (laughs) yeah, I think that's the stat. Um, Also a great passer, really good defender, um, especially as the criteria for big men becomes more perimeter oriented at the power forward position on defense. Um, definitely will the Pistons to a playoff spot. I think they're going to be even better this year. You'll um, maybe not have to do quite as much. Uh, not a lot better, but still Reggie Jackson, I think, will have his first healthy offseason. I expect improvement from Luke Kennard. And I expect Blake to be around the same impact-wise that he was last year. So, yeah, that's where it's it's fascinating to me. You know, the if we talked about, okay, we're just rating the players and how they did last season. Yeah, I would probably have him right where you do. Uh, the The issue for me is projecting him out for another season and proje- projecting or, or hoping that he's going to be healthy again, especially when you talk about the end of last season, right right at the last few games of the regular season and into the postseason against the Bucks. 
uh, he started to have those similar knee issues that he's had throughout his career. So, you know, if you ask me, I think uh, him playing another 75 games and playing at that level is more, uh, you know, is, is less likely than, than I would hope for, which is why I have a little bit lower. But absolutely, just based on his performance from last year, he, he, he absolutely deserves top 15 recognition. I definitely am being a little naive. I just, I just want him to like. I want this to be the player he is now because it was so fun to watch. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the injury is... stuff definitely is legit, and I thought about that a lot. But I was like, you know, I just think he's better than all the guys below him on this list, and maybe not better enough to offset having injury concerns and like you know not being able to be overworked for another consecutive season. But he, I think he's just better than. Everyone else following. Yeah, that's totally fair, and it is. It has been awesome to watch his career evolve, going from the recipient in the pick and roll with uh, with Chris Paul and the Clippers to the guy that's actually handling the basketball in the pick and roll. It has been fascinating, it, and he was absolutely a joy to watch last season. That'll do it for this episode of Duncan Dynasty. Thanks so much for listening to part one of Scott Levine and my discussion on the top thirty players in the NBA. Stay tuned next week as uh, we will bring you part two. If you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that, uh, that really helps a lot. If, uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or, uh, or ideas for, uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g-bouguet at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to, uh, to uh, give me any of your ideas. I, I love to hear from, uh, from the people listening to the program, and uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.